Good morning. You know, I had somebody greet me this morning and say, how about those hogs? Not terrible. Uh, we're looking forward to basketball, right? This morning, I have uh, just a, one announcement I want to make, but it's a really important one. We are, uh, we've been presented with a, a challenge, a financial challenge. Had a few families uh, come to me, and um, they are going to match what is given to the building fund between next Sunday and December 1st up to $50,000. So, um, one of the things that's happened as we've been in the building, it's been great because this part of the building's paid off and we praise the Lord for that. But sometimes when you're in a, a building project, you forget about the one that's still not paid for. But um, I praise the Lord for the families that have come to me uh, with this matching uh, challenge. And um, so, I would just encourage you uh, over the next uh, couple of months to consider how the Lord might um, increase your giving. You know, we don't hardly ever talk about giving here at Grace, but I can say this in the time that I've been a part of, of Grace and Springville Road, and I know this is true for Deerfoot, the Lord has always provided for what we need. He's been faithful to do that. And so um, there, there will be green envelopes next Sunday in addition to the envelopes that are already in the chairs there, um, and the green envelopes will be specifically um, uh, for this uh, uh, challenge that's been presented to us. And um, so I would just ask you to just pray about that. That's between you and the Lord. You know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and uh, one of the worst things we could do is give with this, you know, angst of I don't really want to do this. It needs to be from our heart. You know, the, as the Lord gives to us, which he's faithful to do all the time. He gives to us. And so I wanted to, to make that announcement this morning. And so um, next week, you'll see the green envelopes. We'll have them around. And I do want to make mention of this, too. The challenge is above and beyond what we give to general fund and to, and, um, and to missions. Uh, because we need the general fund giving and the missions giving as, as well uh, the building. So this is not in place of, this is over and beyond. And I, I know a lot of times in, in, in missions, um, there's a kind of like a faith promise, and we really do that. It's, it's what we do. But um, this is over and beyond what the Lord would provide for you and for me to give uh, in terms of general fund and missions. So um, you'll see those uh, green um, envelopes next week. We might mention it one more time just to remind you so you can actually see what the green envelopes look like. Um, but uh, they were supposed to be here Friday, I thought, but it's not until next Friday. So we'll remind you of that as time goes along. But I just praise the Lord for the challenge that's in front of us and would just ask that you would pray along with me and the elders as uh, the Lord continues to... Um, be faithful to us here at Grace. I wanted to uh, just have a prayer time this morning before we begin our service together. And so why don't you stand as we uh, pray uh, this morning. So Lord, we just want to thank you for uh, your faithfulness to us as um, a body of believers. Uh, we are here today uh, standing in this place now uh, just thanking you for your faithfulness to us. 
Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given us. It's your love letter to us. I pray that we value your word. That um, each and every day it's on our mind to open your word. And it's on our mind to enjoy as believers to enjoy the fellowship with you that's available each day. And that we fellowship with you through your word and through prayer. And Lord, I just want to ask that during um, this challenge over the next couple of months, Lord, that you would just be in that, you would bless that. And uh, we just uh, commit it to you. And uh, just commit, Lord, um, the ministries here at Grace as we think about Awana starting uh, this Wednesday. We just commit that ministry to you and all the children that will be here, Lord, and the opportunities we'll have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with these children. And, uh, Lord, I know for me and working with them, it's also a challenge to my walk each day. And I'm just so thankful for these kids. I pray for the leaders that you would give them the energy that they'll need each week. And, Lord, I just pray for a special time uh, this year in Awana. Uh, we commit uh, today to you, Lord, and I pray that our minds and our hearts are right before you and that we're ready to worship and sing praise to the one and only God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, to start this, um, our worship time today, I've been kind of looking forward to this because uh, I was reading in Psalm 113. Don't put that up yet. Uh, 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 well, don't put it up there, but it's, it's up there now, but uh, that's good. <laughs> I thought that was, I was thought he was, you know, that's what you learn how to do when you're back there is to take vocal, uh, vocal cues. And I mentioned that and I said, he's going to throw it, he's going to put it up there, but that's okay. But I was reading in that and it's, a, it's really an awesome passage. Um, and uh, we're going to go through it. We're going to look at it in just a minute. Um, but yesterday morning we were at uh, men's prayer breakfast and we had a small group of people that were back in the college and career room. And um, right off the bat, uh, George started praying, and he's, he's just in, in, in prayer, we were just acknowledging God and his greatness and uh, his awesomeness, and George started talking about how the sun, he said, I walked out this morning and felt the sun on my face. He says, and knowing that that sun is 93 million miles away from where I'm standing right here, 93 million miles, that's a long way, folks. And then think about it, and I just got to thinking, wow, what an awesome God. Is that here we can walk out and we can feel the sun. And you know that sun's got to be huge out there. It's got to be big. And God created that. And he created it to where we can walk out outside and we can feel that sun that's 93 million miles away. And that's awesome. That's awesome. And then you get to thinking, okay, the earth is rotating around the sun, so that means... 93 million miles, and so the radius of that thing is, what, 186 million miles right there? God created that. He just spoke it into existence. God created that. And then, that's awesome. And then what's awesomer? Is that, is that a word? What's awesomer is the fact that that's not, that doesn't even, I mean, that, makes, that doesn't even make our whole solar system. God created that. And then what's awesomer than that, that's what would they be, awesomer or whatever, uh, you know, is the fact that the solar system, they say that there are countless amounts of solar systems that are out there that we don't even know about. Wow, what a big God. 
we have. I ran across this verse. Um, Harley, go ahead and put that up there now. It says, <clears throat> Psalm 113, verses 4 through 6, it says, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Go ahead. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Now, that's awesome, Ur. The fact that he, this huge universe that he has created and everything, now he is standing far off and he's seeing it out here. That's how big our God is that we've come to worship this morning. Can you imagine that? Can you get your hands around that? It's just the fact that that's our God. Well, that, that's in the ESV. In the, uh, in the NASB, the uh, New American Standard, it says this, The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth? It's the same thing, but it's saying he humbles himself to do this. And then if you look at the NIV, I like this one because I had my six-year-old grandson down yesterday. And we're out there on the driveway, and all of a sudden he sees a bug or something. And he said, and he stoops, and he looks down, and he looks at that bug, you know. And he stoops down to see it. Listen to what NIV says. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Just like my six-year-old grandson stooped down like, hey, look at this. Our God is so awesome, mer, er, er, whatever. He stoops down to see his creation. That is so awesome. Can we, can, we, can we fathom that, folks? I don't think we can. I can't. I can't get my head around that. But anyway, but what an awesome God. And you know what? The next, we don't have the next verse up there, but it talks about how you know, he goes over and he helps the poor. He knows each and every one of us. He knows me. I don't understand that. He knows who I am. He knows you and you and you. He knows all of us. That's amazing. And even more than that, the Bible says that he knows how many hairs are on our head. I mean, he knows more about us than we even know about us. It's just amazing. What an amazing God. I just wanted to set that up, folks. It's hard to imagine the mighty awesome God that we are here to, to worship today and to know that that same God sacrificed his most precious possession, his son, you know, for our salvation. He is the Lord of our salvation. I want us just to take just a few minutes, I mean, just a, a, maybe a minute, and I want us just to, in, our, in, in the quietness of this time right now, I want us just to bow our heads and I want us to th think on that. Get our minds around how awesome, how wonderful, full of wonder what that word means. How wonderful our God is. Just take a, a moment of silence and then we'll start our worship time.
sing along with us. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea.
God is an awesome God who remembers us in all that he does. Our Lord is our salvation. I'd like for us to continue singing here. Sing with us. Let's sing this, sing this next verse. my God should die for me. So let's sing this together.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm getting a lot, giving a lot of introduction today, and I normally don't do that, but these things just kind of came to me, and I just felt so, um, so privileged to be able to come and worship a God that we've been worshiping this morning. What an amazing God He is. And, you know, we have to, we have to acknowledge that, that how, who God really is. And I ran across a story that I was reading this last week in Matthew. It's Matthew 8. And most of you know the story of the centurion. The centurion came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if you just come, or Jesus, you know, my servant, he's a centurion now, Roman centurion. He's way up here. He's high on the totem pole. And, and the, he says, uh, my servant is paralyzed. And he is, uh, and I can't remember what the word, but he is really... <laughs> can't remember what the word is right now, but just struggling tremendously. He says, you know, if you will, you can heal him. And Jesus said, well, I will go with you. And, and, and what did the centurion say? He says, no, no, Lord, you can't go with me. He says, because I am not worthy that you should even enter under my house, under the roof of my house, the ceiling of my house. You know, and here this man is, he's, he's way on up here. He's the top-notch guy. He had, and he says something about, he says, I am like you. You know, I'm under authority, and I'm a man of authority, and I have all these servants that when I ask them to go, they go, and when I ask them to do something, they do it. And, uh, and, and uh, that's, that's the type of guy. He said, but I am, and you're that way, and I am that way. I understand what your authority, Lord, but you, uh, I'm not worthy of having you come to my household. And what did Jesus say? He says, nowhere in Israel have I ever found such faith. Well, that made, the, that, that, that made the Pharisees mad, I'm sure, when he said that. But it was true. He said, that's what it is. We acknowledge who God is, and we're not worthy. Nothing in this world makes us worthy of being able to come into his presence. Nothing in this world makes us worthy of being able to be in his heaven forever and ever. Nothing. Only through the blood of Jesus. Only what happened at the cross makes us worthy or allows us to come into his presence. With that in mind, I want you to listen to the choir as they sing a song, and, um, and that's exactly how, what, what it's addressed. It says, uh, my worth is not in what I own.
Thank you, Ron and choir. Today is my wife's birthday. Why are y'all snickering? I just I'm so thankful for her and uh, thankful for the life that we have together. We're very, very blessed to have three children and three grandchildren and um, I just want to say happy birthday, hon. And if I want you guys to know, I guess I do. She's a year, a month, and a day older than me. <laughs> I will pay for that. <laughs> but happy birthday. All right. Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 19. We will end up there in just a few moments together. We started last week looking at the foundation and the pillars of grace, meaning Grace Community Church at Deerfoot. It's important for us to know, um, I think, as a group, who we are, our foundation, and what we stand on, and the pillars that are important to us. In fact, the value of those pillars, I don't know that we can even put those in, in words, but how important they are to the ongoing uh, ministry here at Grace. And so if you've been here with us for a while, you're, you may, it just may be a refresher to you. Although, this last week I had many that have been here a while who said that, I haven't seen this before. So that's good um, for all of us to be reminded of the pillars at grace, the foundation that we stand on. And last week, we looked together at that for just, a, uh, for just a few moments we did. We looked at the vision statement of knowing Christ and making Christ known. That's the vision that we have here at Grace Community Church. Uh, we also had the mission statement being the hands and feet of Christ, that we need to be his hands and his feet, right? We're the ones that are out there. We're the ambassadors for Christ. That's what he says. Um, and then that involves sharing the gospel, building up believers in the word and prayer. And it involves equipping the saints, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry as Paul out clearly outlines in Ephesians chapter 4. 
Um, then we talked about the foundation, and we did that last week. We talked about the foundation being Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He's the reason that we exist and the, and the reason we do. We're here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have told to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that he indeed is the foundation of the church. And then we talked about that. As you see there in 1 Corinthians 3, it clearly says that he is the foundation of the church and that we need to build on that. And Paul talks about us calculating that. When we build, we build on the foundation which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Then we talked about the gospel and we talked about the importance of the gospel, being able to clearly define the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And so what's the good news? And Paul gives us that right there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then we looked at the doctrinal statement. Just uh, if you've not read it, you need to read it. This is in our doctrinal statement here at Grace, the doctrine of salvation. We believe that salvation is the gift of grace by the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace meaning undeserved favor, unmerited favor, freely bestowed upon all who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. At Calvary, apart from human meritorious works, it's apart from works, Paul clearly distinguishes that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that at regeneration all believers in this age are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the next series that we'll do will be on the Role of the believer, or the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That's a very going to be a very very dynamic series, one that we don't want to uh, uh, overlook at all. It's, it's tremendously important that we understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, baptized into the body of Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That those who are genuine believers are eternally saved. And that great news, eternally saved. Right? Once you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're eternally saved. And that security is based on what Christ has done for you, not what you do. That's very important to distinguish, especially in this day and age, that those who are genuine believers are eternally saved and will persevere. And um, so we come now to the first pillar that we want to discuss this morning, and the first pillar is the Word of God, the Word of God. You should have a handout in your uh, bulletin that you can refer to. Um, There's quite a bit, somebody said to me this morning, hey, that... This week there's a lot more, there are a lot more words. Well, some weeks there are and some weeks there aren't. Some weeks I make you write down, and that's okay. But some weeks I spend time, a lot of time, typing and getting it together. And um, so this morning we want to focus in on the Word of God. And I want to ask you uh, this question this morning, how much do we value the Word? How much do we value the Word? That's the question for our consideration today. How much do we value the Word of God? How many of you have the Word of God right there in front of you? See? On a phone, iPad, a copy of the Word itself. What do, what do you have, right? In front of you. And so when you come to Grace, bring your Bible because you're going to need it. And, you know, I was thinking about that this week, that no matter what ministry you're involved in, right, you're going to need your Bible. You go to Awana, you're going to need a Bible. You go to college and career, you're going to need a Bible. You go to youth group, you're going to need a Bible. The ministries that we have here, right, the foundation of that is Christ, but, but we have the Word of God in front of us. That's our compass, that's our guide, that's, we're taking directions from the Lord. And so, 
I want you to think about that this morning. Let me just go back. Isn't that neat? I can go back. I didn't know I could do that. You can go back and you see under the pillar of the Word of God. And I mentioned, I put three things there for our consideration. Reading the Word. I would say, you know, it's kind of hard to rank, rank things, but one of the greatest blessings to this point as a pastor in my life has been when we started reading together through the Word. Um, we started with the Gospel of John. And now we're in Proverbs, reading through together. I mean, how valuable is it that we're reading God's Word together as a congregation? Right? And so Paul says, listen, don't neglect the public reading of the Word of God. That's where the power is. The power's in the Word. And then obviously preaching. I would encourage you, if you have time, to go through that entire section in context in 2 Timothy chapter 4 because Paul is writing with a sense of urgency to a young man in the faith that he spent time investing in and his name's Timothy. And he, right there, it just kind of comes off the page. He says, preach the Word. What else are you going to do? What else do pastors do? They should be doing what? Every Sunday, preaching the Word. And then teaching, the teaching ministry. And there's a lot of different verses. I put Acts 2 because in Acts 2, I think we're kind of given that picture of the early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And so that teaching ministry right from the very beginning was important. But we have an advantage. We have the full revelation of God. You ever thought about that? We have the complete revelation of God. All 66 books I've got good news for you are available to you today. And I kind of have this, this is just a personal thing. I, I say until we get down all 66 books, we got plenty to do. How about that? So the question becomes, how much do we value this book that is right in front of us this morning? There's a story told um, of a pastor, George W. Truitt, who was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas from 1897, that was a few years ago, to 1944. And he was invited to dinner in the home of a very wealthy man in Texas. And after the meal, the host led him to a place where they could get a good view of the surrounding area. And pointing to the oil wells, punctuating the landscape, he boasted, 25 years ago, I had nothing. Now, as far as you can see, it's all mine. Looking in the opposite direction at his uh, sprawling fields of grain, he said, that's all mine. And turning east toward huge herds of cattle, he bragged and said, they are all mine. Then pointing to the west in a beautiful forest, he exclaimed, and by the way, finding that in Texas is hard, he exclaimed, that is all mine as well. He paused, waiting for Dr. Truett to compliment him on his great success. Truett, however, placing one hand on the man's shoulder and pointing heavenward, with the other simply said, how much do you have invested in that direction? The man hung his head and he thought, he said, I never thought of that. You know, guys, this world has a lot to offer. A lot to offer. You can buy it. But do you know, if you have the money to buy it, but do you know that this is the greatest treasure that we have? God's Word. 
Man, how do you preach that in the 21st century? Because if you took that message to the streets and said, this is the greatest treasure, you might just be shot. Ray Steadman writes this about God's word. He says, the greatest power ever known is the word of God. It has called the worlds into being, toppled empires, healed and comforted the sick, shaken the proud and resurrected the dead. Yet in far too many pulpits, that powerful word lies unopened. Can you imagine that? That there are churches even today that are meeting across this land who never open the word of God. That powerful word, he says, lies unopened, unspoken, and therefore not known. Start with your kids early, guys. Read them the word. Read, read, read. My um, middle granddaughter, I had the privilege to watch her a couple of weeks ago. And uh, her name's Maya. I love my granddaughters. I love giving them treats and sending them home. It's great. Here's all the sugar you want. I bought them popsicles yesterday. Teresa said, honey, maybe they haven't eaten lunch yet. I said, who cares? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Caleb's problem. It's not mine. He gets out with this big bag of stuff, and they're going to eat it. And I'm like sitting on the front porch because it was hot, and I've got my orange popsicle. And guess what the girls want? You think they want what dad's got in the bag, or they want the popsicle? They want the popsicle, right? So they got the popsicle, but you know they had to eat their food first. Too many rules. Um, but I was sitting with Maya a few couple weeks ago, and she wanted a bowl of cereal. And so I got her some Fruit Loops. You like Fruit Loops? They're in my cabinet. If you mix them with Crispix, you don't feel so bad. But she's in the living room on the pallet eating Fruit Loops. And she says, Poppies, can I have another bowl? I said, Sure, get her another bowl. And she says, Poppies, can I have another bowl? And I'm like, Yeah, Caleb's not here. Sure, you can have another bowl. <laughs> so she had three bowls of Fruit Loops. And then she just turns to me and she says, Hey, poppies, can I tell you a story? And I said, Sure. She said, now, I want to tell you a story about Joseph and the big fish. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. That concerns me. <laughs> uh, but for the next at least five minutes, she told her version of that story, which was pretty accurate. You know, we can't start early enough reading and teaching our children the Word of God. Chuck Swindoll writes this about the Word of God. He says, the Word of God is penetrating and poignant and convicting and comforting all at the same time. The exposition of the Scripture exposes hypocrisy. It offends the self-righteous and at the same time encourages the weary and the wounded. How many times in your life to this point in your life, when you've been weary and wounded, has God's word comforted your heart and your mind? Nothing else can pierce the thick veneer of our facades like the Bible. Well, I have a proposition for you this morning that there was a man in the Bible named David who valued the word of God. He valued, that was part of his testimony, he valued God's word. And he writes about that in Psalm 19. And we want to look just at 
three of those statements today. I thought I could do all six, but it's impossible. Just too much there. You know, the Lord, honestly, just to kind of how how this works out, I mean, I pray about what the Lord wants me to share, and, and I'm thinking through, you know, praying through it, and it's like, is it 2 Timothy? And then it's like the Lord just kept leading me back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, Thad, you need Psalm 19. I was like, okay, Lord, I got it, Psalm 19. But in Psalm 19, we are presented with the fact that David valued God's word. And he clearly delineates for us the, the, not only the value of the word of God, but how it impacts our lives. And so I want to look at that this morning. Look at Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring, and some translations might have converting. Restoring or converting the soul. Now when one reads that, what in the world is he talking about? Well, let me tell you. I would say here that the evidence that David valued God's words overwhelming. And the first phrase that he gives us here in verse 7 he says the law of the Lord is perfect restoring the soul the word law there is the word Torah right the word Torah and the word Torah describes the first five books of Moses right Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy say it with confidence The word itself emphasizes doctrine and instruction. And here's the question. Do we value doctrine? Should we value doctrine? Absolutely we should value doctrine. Doctrine reveals to us who God is. Who is God? Ron talked a lot about that this morning. Who God is. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. The doctrine of God is very important. Doctrine itself is very important. And there are many doctrines in Scripture. One of the privileges that you have here at Grace is to be able to sit in small groups and study some of that doctrine, to get a hold of that doctrine. Um, The central meaning of Torah is teaching, whether it is the wise man who gently instructs his son or God patiently teaching Israel. The emphasis is on teaching teaching. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want to show you an illustration of this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go in in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's an example of that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. This is referred to as the Shema. That's the word here. Hear, O Israel. In other words, hey, this is important. <laughs> this is important. Listen up. Right? We can relate to that. You've been in a classroom where your teacher has said, listen up, pay attention. Or your parents have said, listen, son. Right? Listen, daughter, pay attention. That's what's going on here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. In other words, with all your being, you're to love the Lord your God. That's kind of 
when you, when you think about it, I was thinking about that this week, I was like, man, that's, that's, that's deep. I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my might, all my being. I got to comparing and contrasting things in my life that I know I love. Maybe you could do that this afternoon. How does that compare? Notice he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your might. These words, he says, which I am commanding you today, so it's not optional, shall be on your heart, on your mind. And then notice what he says. You shall do what with them? Teach. Teach, teach who? You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates in other words, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. So the example here is that we are, the value here is that the, the law, the Torah is perfect. We're to do what with that? Israel was to do what? Teach that. Because doctrine is important. There's a... I need this sheet of paper. Then David outlines for us the benefit, the effect of the Torah. Notice what he says in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. The word perfect there emphasizes that which is complete and sound. In other words, it's sufficient. In other words, there's nothing that is missing. You ever thought about that? That there's nothing missing in God's word. Now, specifically in the context, he's referring to the first five books. But we have 66. There's nothing that's missing. I like what J.C. Ross says. He says, we need the scriptures because they are reliable and useful for our daily lives. They're reliable and useful for our daily lives. That's exactly what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. Right? The word of God is profitable, it's useful. What do we do with those things that are useful or profitable? We use them. And so that's what David's saying here about the Torah, the word of God. The word of the Lord is perfect. It's sufficient. You know, that's a, that's a huge word in our, our day and time. That we would say that the word of God is sufficient. Do you believe the word of God is sufficient? See, because if we believe that it's sufficient, then we believe it has everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. Nothing is missing. But the way it's being taught today, it's like, well, you can take this and you can take that, but you don't have to accept this and you don't have to accept that. And I just don't think God spoke to everything. Yes, he did. Man doesn't like it. There's a young man that was in a class recently. 
where this was challenged. This young man texted me what was going on in the class. And he said, I am amazed how people are willing to just put aside what God has already said. David's saying here, nothing's missing. That's the encouragement. Nothing is missing. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now notice the power of the law of the Lord. What does it say? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Um, I like what John MacArthur says about the sufficiency of the Scriptures and how it works in the lives of men and women and children. God's word is sufficient to meet every need of the human soul. As David verifies frequently in the Psalms, Scripture is comprehensive, containing everything necessary for one's spiritual life. Scripture is surer than a human experience that one may look to in proving God's power and presence. You know, one example of that would be when you see these books out, I've been to heaven. Well, I haven't been to heaven yet, I'm going. Isn't it amazing how many people are willing to put all their eggs in the basket of experience of whoever's writing the book about my experience in heaven, and yet the scriptures tell us and give to us a picture of what heaven will be. I don't need a little kid writing a book or an adult telling me about that. I have what the word tells me about heaven. And one of the things that I think the church needs to wake up to, and this is a side note, heaven is about the Lord. I don't know how that sounds to you. I don't know how you're receiving that, but it's the truth. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in that passage that talks about the coming of the Lord for his church, it says we'll meet him at in the clouds, meet him in the clouds. And so we shall always be with who? Him. And do you know how strong that was? He says, therefore encourage one another, comfort one another with these words. The effect of the word is it restores the soul. That word restore is an interesting word. The word refers to turning. It means to turn toward or to turn away from. It means to come back. It can also picture returning to a former condition. The word, and this is really a summary of it, the word picture is turning to the Lord, turning to Jehovah in the context. It's turning to him. That's what the word of God does, guys. Think about the practical impact of the word. It turns us to the Lord. <laughs> It restores us to him. It's like if a person's walking off the path, what's going to get them back on the path? It's not going to necessarily be you and me. It's going to be the word. So what do we point people to when they're off the path? The word. Because the word of God never changes. You and I change. But God's word doesn't. It's the greatest counseling book there is. You believe that? <laughs> There's power in the Word of God. It converts. 
It transforms the entire person. Stephen Lawson writes this. The word of God converts and transforms the entire person. The radical change is from the inside out, restoring man to his greatest need. The power's in the word. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel, the word. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. It is the power. In fact, it's so powerful. I want you to listen to this testimony. I've never read this before until this last week, but what a testimony about the effect of the Word of God, that it does convert the soul. Listen to this. Some 30 years ago, there resided in one of the temples of Tibet a Buddhist priest who had conversed with no Christian missionary, had heard nothing about the cross of Christ, and had never seen a copy of the Word of God. And one day, while searching for something in the temple, he came across a transcription of Matthew's Gospel, which years before had been left there by a native who had received it from some traveling missionary. Well, his curiosity was aroused. And so guess what he began to do? He began to read it. In fact, he got to the eighth verse in the fifth chapter, and he paused and he pondered what was written. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Although he knew nothing about the righteousness of his maker, although he was quite ignorant concerning the demands of God's holiness, yet it was there and then convicted of his sins, and a work of divine grace commences that a work of divine grace commenced in his soul. Month after month went by, and each day he said to himself, I shall never see God, for I am impure in heart. Slowly but surely, the work of the Holy Spirit deepened within him until he saw himself as a lost sinner, vile, guilty, and undone. And you know what the rest of the story is? This man became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through a transcription of Matthew's gospel that was left. Is there power in the word? Absolutely there is. Restores the soul, according to David, here in Psalm 19. So he says, first of all, the law, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, converting the soul. It works in the hearts of men, if you just want to put it like that. Then he says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word testimony is an interesting term. It's a legal term or a judicial term that pictures God himself as a witness attesting to the truth. The scripture is clear about the Lord. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. Do men lie? Yeah. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? When God says it, he's doing it. Or has he spoken and will not, he not make it good? This is interesting. As you go to the New Testament, this word is used in the book of 1 John. You don't need to turn there, but I just want to read this to you as a, a testimony of what David's saying here. 
as you fast forward the pages of Scripture. I don't think I gave it to you on the slide. I didn't. Uh, listen to this, 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. John writes, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is what? It's greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. So what was the testimony that God gave concerning his son? John doesn't leave you wondering. He says that the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So in Scripture, we see God, right? We see God speaking about truth because He is truth. So what He says is true. And Scripture tells us in Psalm 19 that the testimony of the Lord is sure. The word sure there is a, a word that's very important in this text. The testimony of the Lord is sure, meaning reliable or trustworthy. We don't have to walk away going, I'm not sure if that's true or not. It's true. It's true because God said it. God is truth. Jesus himself said what? I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. Um, making wise the simple. The word simple there in uh, Psalm 19, making wise the, uh, the humble or the teachable. That's the idea. Making wise the simple, most translations have. And the word simple means humble and teachable. Um, the word means to have wisdom. In the complete word study of the Old Testament, the author writes about this. He says, Hebrew wisdom was very different from other ancient worldviews. Israel believed that there was a personal God who is holy and just, and he expects us to live our lives according to his principles. They emphasized human will of the heart, not the intellect of an individual. Well, you look at today's culture, it's the intellect that's the issue. But the reality is, is that the Lord looks at what? The heart. Therefore, Hebrew wisdom was very practical. It was based on what God had revealed about right and wrong. And here's the question. Has God revealed through his word, even if you go back to Psalm 19, looking at the first five books, has he revealed, did he reveal to Israel what was right and what was wrong? Answer, yes, he did. And it applied to daily life. Um, we are reading right now through Proverbs. Proverbs is called what kind of literature? Wisdom literature. How many times in the first few chapters as you've been reading have you seen, listen, Seen it quite a few times, right? So what does the Word of God help us to do? It helps us to be wise, but we have to listen. My son, heed your father's instruction. Listen. Um, do you think we live in a culture with great listening skills? Yes? How many of you say yes? I would say no. You know, I, th I do think we undersell people, though. 
You know, they say in a public setting like this that someone won't listen over 25 to 30 minutes. Well, okay, who came up with that stat, right, is what I say. Do you know there are places that I've taught before in foreign countries where I've gotten finished within 30 to 35 minutes and they said, we want more. Isn't that neat? It's only 11.37, that's what you're saying. We want more! <laughs> uh, that's what I liked about going into the prison. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> Nothing else for them to do. Um, you know, guys, we don't live in a great listening culture. I just want to give you a personal testimony one of the things that happened this last week as I've been reading through Proverbs is the Lord's been trying to slow me down. I'm the kind of guy that I go from this to this to this to this. Any of you like that? And I'm just, I'm racing. But think about the value of just stopping and listening. And I'm in the midst of where the Lord's trying to teach me that. I'm just giving you a personal testimony. That you need to stop. You need to enjoy the fellowship. You need to listen to the things that I've said. That's what, the Proverbs is just beating me up. But I need to stop and I need to listen. Because listen, the scriptures make us wise. It makes wise those who are humble and those who are teachable. All right. Then he says... The precepts of the Lord are right. This is the last one we'll deal with this morning. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I really like this one. Not that I didn't like the other two. I really, it really spoke to me. It's a word referring to the mandates of God. In other words, the Lord places responsibility into the laps of his people. You agree with that? Yes, we do. I'm not sure I could count on two hands the number of people as we were reading through Romans that either sent me a text or an email referring to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, do we see personal responsibility for the believer? All through the chapter. You just can't run, you can run away from it, I guess, but it's all there. What responsibility we have to the Lord and to one another. We have responsibility. That's the idea here of the word precepts. Israel had responsibility. The church has responsibility. It is a word used to point to the guidelines for living found in the word of God. In fact, one of the examples of that would be the Ten Commandments. Same idea. The Ten Commandments were to put the Israelites on the what road? The right road. A precise path. That's what the word right means. The word refers to being direct or straight. The word means that the word of God makes known the correct or precise path to take in life. Example, young people, marriage. Well, God doesn't care who I marry. Yeah, he does. If you're a believer, he does. He does. You agree with that, parents? You better hold your hand up right next to your kids. God cares. So how do you know that, Pastor Dad? 
Bible says. See, the good part, guys, it's not me. I'm not the authority. God's the authority. Has God said for young people that are believers, has he clearly defined who they are to look for to marry? Answer, yes. You're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, I don't like that, Pastor Thad. Well, I wasn't fond of it when I was 17, 18 years old. I didn't get it then. It took me a while. You know, one of the worst things that can happen in a marriage is when you have a Christian and you have a non-Christian, it looks like this. Values aren't the same. They're not the same. I would just add to you, young people, just an encouragement that there are other believers out there. Wait. Be patient. Been reading through in my historical study, Israel wasn't patient. You know how I know that? They got King Saul. Patience. Commit it to the Lord. You say, yeah, but I... Commit it to the Lord. Talk to your parents. Get in front of them. Pray with them. Matters. So the Lord's given us precise paths to take in life. The Word of God will keep one steady, meaning there are no excessive ups or downs in the Christian life, unless you're being controlled by your emotions. <laughs> then there will be some ups and downs. So he says in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. It's what God has in mind. We need to pay attention to those signs that he's given to us. You ever run into a sign like that, willing to do that? I should have, I got a story with that. I should have paid attention. I don't know if the sign was exactly like that. But we got lost in the state of Arkansas one time. We were riding around. And do you know how lost we were? Before long, we didn't see telephone poles. And I was like, wow, we are lost. We need to pay attention to the signs that the Lord gives us. And you know the signs that he gives us? Stop. Wait. Be patient. Surrender. All these wonderful signs. Where do we find these signs? We find them in God's word. A couple of last thoughts. Notice he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You say, precepts they have the effect of rejoicing that's what David says he says the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the Hebrew word describes an intense and vigorous action in other words it's not like rejoicing but rejoicing see he sets me on the right path and then the result is rejoicing The effect of God's word can and will, I wrote this, produce tremendous gladness in the life of the believer even in the midst of difficult and depressing circumstances. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely. If you've lived a long time, you've, you've, you've run through this. This joy, this gladness, this satisfaction. I mean, Paul wrote it like this, right? He says what? Rejoice in everything. What? In everything, he says, rejoice. 
Right? We can rejoice knowing that God's word is true, that the commands that he gives us are for our benefit and for our good, even when it looks kind of rough. I was thinking about how the word of God produces joy in the midst of difficulty. I wrote down three names. And the reason I wrote these three names down is because I personally witnessed these women rejoicing in the midst of difficult circumstances up to the point they went to be with the Lord. Mavis Vines, she was like that. Nell Miner, she was like that. Eileen Keaton, she was like that. How many of you knew them? knew of them. They all had something in common. I would go see them and they would minister to me. I would literally walk out going, did I just, did I encourage them? I just got a sermon. Mavis would preach to me. You know Nell. She preached to me. Miss, little Miss Eileen, she did too, in her sweet little way. But all of them, in the midst of difficult circumstances, rejoiced because they knew the Lord. And they knew His Word. I want to leave you with a couple of take-homes this morning. First of all, the Word of God speaks for itself. <laughs> it's its own defense. All you have to do is read through prophecy and you'll see that. The Word of God speaks for itself. And secondly, the Word of God equips us for life as a Christian. God's Word does that. It equips us. It shapes us. It molds us. It changes us. This morning I've got a video I want to show you as we close our time together. But before we, I show you that video, guys, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I know many of you have probably already done this, but I would like for us just to spend a minute or two this morning rededicating ourselves to the pillar of the Word of God. So you just take a minute or two between you and the Lord. Just take that opportunity right now to rededicate yourself to God's Word and the study of His Word. Lord, as one moves on in the passage, David says that he refers to the word um, as being sweeter than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. It's sweet. It does have a sting. It does sting. Um, but... Lord, it gently moves us into the right paths and right directions. Sometimes it's, it's difficult because it feels like that we're being pounded on. But I'm thankful for your Holy Spirit that does convict us and does move us. And as you clearly, Lord, stated to your disciples, it was to their advantage that you go away because the helper would be in them.
And so we're thankful that we have the helper if we're born again in us that helps us and leads us and guides us into all truth. Your word is, in the high priestly prayer, you say, your word is truth. And so I pray that we would be shaped and molded by your word and that as we're walking on the path that you've given for us, Lord, that we would walk on that straight and narrow path and that at the end of that path we would see that our vision would be clear, that we would see you and your word as the guide for each and every day, that we have the privilege to live. And we give you all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Watch this video. All of us will reach a crossroads in life, a decision that has to be made. Some can be small and insignificant. Others seem like they could shape the course of our entire lives. How can we know the will of God? How can we correctly choose the path he has set out for us? And what if we make the wrong decision? We spend sleepless nights and days filled with anxiety when we place these burdens upon ourselves. Often we become isolated, feeling completely alone in finding the right answer. Sometimes we're tempted to rush into a decision. Other times we'd rather delay indefinitely. But for those who call him Father, for those who believe in the power of his name, he provides everything we need to follow his will. He gives us his word as a compass and inspiration. Those who live according to scripture will always follow in his footsteps. He blesses us with wise counsel through his church and the leaders he has set in place. He hears our every prayer, granting peace and wisdom to those who ask. His very spirit dwells in us a still small voice that guides from within our hearts. And in his perfect timing, he will open doors. He will clear the way forward. And no matter the path you choose, you are never alone. He will walk beside you and enfold you with his love from now until the end of eternity. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. As we close, I just wanted to, uh, I, I was thinking about the sermon, I just wanted to share something with you. I remember when we first were thinking about going on the mission field, I was talking to, um, actually might have been Dr. Hughley, and uh, I said, Dr. Hughley, give me some wisdom before I get on the mission field. And uh, he said, um, as, as I've grown older, I've realized how great of a sinner I am. And I was like, well, that's not too encouraging. <laughs> give me something else. <laughs> 
And, but then he says, at the same time, I see the greatness of God's grace that fills my life. And that really uh, stuck with me for, um, for a long time. It'll always stick with me. So just encourage you that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we are not worthy, um, but you have sent your son to die for us on the cross to make us worthy. And we just thank you so much for the love, for the grace that you have for us. And we thank you so much that you don't want to leave us in our sin, but that you will allow um, us to suffer the consequences of our sin. Um, But at the same time, you're there healing us, weeping with us, hurting with us. And we just thank you so much for your grace. We want to bless you with our lives. We want to give you all the glory and honor for everything that happens this week. Lord, go before us. Keep us from temptation. Keep us from evil. Help us to be a shining light to this unbelieving world. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.